0: Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. You know, there's that point in every race I've been told. This is not from experience, but um, for those that do long distance racing, there's that point where they hit what they call the wall, or I've read it's also called the bonk. I like the word bonk because it sounds cool, but uh, they hit the bonk where they bonk out, and really what happens is this, that the glycogen in your muscles that you've stored up for energy, that that runs out, and then they hit this spot where they Your legs are like concrete, and your muscles are rubber, and you've just got nothing left where you're thinking, I'm going to finish this race, and your body says, no, we're finished now. And they say that there's two things that have to happen in that moment when you hit the bonk. One of them is that you. some people just press through it. They slow down. They obviously don't run the same pace, but they you know, they just keep on going. And then there's other folks that will, that will s- come to a walk. They start to walk, grab some water, grab like a little carbo- carbohydrate-type snack, munch on it 20 minutes, and then they start running again. And they get their energy back. You know, spiritually speaking, the bonk is what happens when we run out of hope It's just what happens. When, when hope runs out, that's like the, the, the energy that's in our muscles. And when it runs out, we run out. And what do we do with that? And I find great comfort in the thought that Jesus is coming back soon. He is. I believe that with all my heart. But I also have to be honest and acknowledge the fact that people have been saying that for 2,000 years. And so there's a pretty good likelihood that uh, I might live and die, and not see the return of Christ in my lifetime. And then what do I do? How do I keep from wearing out between here and there? I mean, I I want them to come back tomorrow. That'd be fantastic. I want them to come back now. But if I have to wait another 10, 20, 30 years, if I have to pass away first, how do I maintain the strength to keep running this race and not giving up? You know, Peter addresses this actually a little bit in his second letter. If you're already in 1 Peter 5, just go a couple of pages over to first, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter actually hits it head on. Because remember, these people that Peter's talking to, they thought Jesus was coming back. They, they, they have the same sense. He's coming back any moment now. And, and Peter addresses the discouragement that could set in. And he says it right here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 1. He says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. We've been studying the first letter. This is the second. He says, I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing. And following their own evil desires, they will say, "'Where is this coming?' he promised." Ever since your ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. These waters, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's Noah's flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You know, God promised after Noah, God promised he would never destroy the world again by that means. There'll never again be a worldwide flood. He didn't promise he wouldn't blow it all up with fire. And Peter says, that day's coming. It's being kept for the day of judgment. It's destruction. But don't forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So you see what Peter says? He acknowledges this fact that the coming of Christ is soon, but any delay is only because of God's big heart. God's desire is that no one should perish. It's the only thing holding him back. And I don't know, I I picture this in my mind. I picture that Jesus, you know, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come for you, that you might be with me where I am, Jesus says. And I imagine in my, in my imagination that Jesus has already finished it, that it's already fixed, that uh, he's already put the finishing touches on, it's all cleaned up, like it's all been swept up, like it's re- the curtains are up, it's, it's ready. It's ready to go. And Jesus said the only thing he, he doesn't know only the father knows when he's going to return. Jesus himself does not know. And so Jesus has gone to the father, and he's like, hey, dad, it's all set. And the father says, just, just, one, just a little bit more, a little bit more. And I imagine the angel army, they're just, they're ready. They are suited up, ready to go, give me the command, blow the trumpet Boom, we're going down there. They can't wait. And they're eager. And Jesus is ready. Because Jesus loves his bride, he can't wait for his bride. You and me. And and he's ready. And the only thing holding them back is the Father's great heart saying, there's just one more. There's one more that I want to make sure hears about my love for them. There's just one more. And, and at some point, God the Father is gonna say, okay, we've we've waited long enough. Let's let's go. But right now, that's the only thing holding him back, is his big heart waiting. And I, I don't know, sometimes when I pray, I'm like, Lord, just tell me where he is, because I'll go get him. I'd like to go right, like, where is he? Zimbabwe, somewhere. Where, I don't know. I'll go get him, God, because I'm be like, and I'll grab him by the scruff of the neck, and I'll say, "Dude, we're all waiting for you. Let's get out of here." Like I, so I, that's kind of how I feel. Come on, Lord, let's go. Let's go now. And he says, "But in the meantime, while you're waiting for that moment, while we're waiting for for that person, that final thing to happen, what do we do to keep ourselves strong? What do we do?" to finish strong, to stay true all the way to the end. And that's where Peter ends this little letter. In chapter 5, he gives us four things that we do to stay strong, to finish to the end. And let's just read 1 Peter chapter 5, and then we'll talk through it, okay? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter starts, to the elders. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now in the same way, you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore... Under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist Him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Would you say that with me? Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, which is another word for Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark, greet one another with a kiss of love. Obviously, they didn't have COVID. <laughs> They're smooching all the way around. Peace to all of you who are in Christ, he says. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter gives us four things that we do to stay strong all the way to the end, and, and to help us remember them, I just start them with H's, just to help us. So the first one is a healthy relationship with leaders. The second one that we need is we need humility. The third one is you got to have a heads up cuz you've got an enemy. Heads up. And then the fourth one is hope hope for the rescue. So we healthy relationship with leaders, humble, heads up, hope for the rescue. First of all he says you got to have a healthy relationship with leaders. You notice he starts right off talking to the elders? To the elders, to the leaders in the churches and And he has specific things for them to do and it 's if you go back to first Peter chapter two, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, you notice Peter. He didn't talk to, like he told the Christians, he said, I want you to submit to your leaders and submit to even slaves, submit to your masters, he says. But Peter didn't tell the masters how to be good masters. And he didn't tell the governing authorities how to be good governing authorities. But now we come to 1 Peter chapter 5, and he starts talking to the elders, and he tells them what they need to do. Now, why would Peter do that? Well, because Peter didn't have the platform. To tell the emperor how to be an emperor. He didn't have the platform to tell masters how to be a master. Does this make sense? It's like when you come to me, and I've had this many times, if a, a person comes to me for marriage counseling, you have an issue in your marriage, you know, and if it's just you, the spouse, the, the husband or the wife, it doesn't matter who talking to me, I'm going to talk to you, the person sitting in front of me. It doesn't do you any good for me to agree with you about what a fool your husband or your wife is. Instead, I'm going to offer you strategies, suggestions. How can you be the best spouse that you can be? Why? Because you're the one in front of me. They're not there. And here's Peter. Peter doesn't have the platform to tell the emperor how to emp or whatever whatever that is. He doesn't have the platform to tell masters how to be masters of slaves. Peter didn't own slaves. He didn't know how to do that. But Peter is an elder. And so Peter says, as an elder, let me talk to you elders for a second. I got a couple of things for you. If you're going to lead the church, if you're going to lead it well, there's a couple of things you need to know. And there's three things that Peter tells him there. You see this? And he, and he uses the same, the same language. You see, three different times in verse two and three, he says, Not this, but this. Do you notice that? Says that? He does it three times, Not this, but this. He says, First of all, not you're leading under your, God's flock, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. First things he says is, Elders are willing. It's like, this is not one of these deals, being an elder is not one of those deals where you went to the bathroom during the annual meeting, and they all elected you while you were gone out of the room, and you came back, and like, hey, you're in. No, that's not how that worked. You're an elder because you're willing, because you've been called to it, because you see the need for it, and you say, I'm going to do it. And you think about it, being an elder is a difficult job in the best of circumstances, And now add to that suffering, add to that persecution, add to that tough times. And now you've just amplified the complication of the job. In fact, as we move forward, those in church leadership have the targets on their back. We get thrown in jail first. We get in trouble first. And so so Peter says, hey, you better be willing. Make sure you're in this because you want to be. So evaluate that. Second thing, just because you want to be isn't a good enough reason, because the second one is not, it says, not for dishonest gain, but eager to serve. You see, that's the second one. Not for dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So it's not just being willing, it's also having a desire, a passion to give and to serve to lay down my life for others. And when he's talking about dishonest gain, I know that we immediately think maybe about televangelists. You know, you think, oh, these guys, they make millions and live in their mansions. But you know, there are many other ways to pursue dishonest gain in church leadership. Like, there's a lot of other bad reasons why people try to lead. Because it, you know, because A, feels good to have a, the power. It's kind of a sense of power, like, hey, I get, I'm in charge. I'm. Uh, there's also the, the kudos that sometimes come with it. It's like it feels good to be the man, the woman. kind of feels good to have people seeking you for direction and advice. You see how it can stroke the ego? That's dishonest gain. He says, he says you're not in it for dishonest gain. Or any kind of back scratching or kickbacks that you can get out of this deal. Being an elder is all giving. It's all giving. He goes eager to serve. The word eager to serve in the Greek is one word. It's the word prothumos. Pro means before and thumos is the word that we get for thermal. We say thermal. So it's, it literally means passion beforehand. So eager to serve means I I see this need and I'm just driven to meet the need. I, I am passionate about serving others because I love them. The love comes before the need. You know, if in ministry, if all we're doing is responding to needs, it wears you out so quickly. But if it's not responding to needs if it's prothumos if it's eager to serve it's i love the people i love you and then you happen to have a need so let's work on that need but it's first about loving you and see the elder has the heart for the person and then meeting the need for the person does that make sense the order of things and then he says so here's so this is what he says you're not you're not forced to do it you're willing and you're willing to do it because you've got a love for the people that you're serving. And then the third thing he says is that you're not, he goes in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, being a good example. You want leaders who don't who walk the walk and they don't just talk the talk. See? How do you, how do you know how to have a good marriage? Well, I hope that God has put leaders in your life that have good marriages so you can learn how to do it by watching their marriages. How do, you, how do you know how to parent your kids? Well, I hope that God has put good leaders in your life who have well-ordered families so that you can see how to order and manage your family well. Does this make sense? It's, it's about living. The leader is first and foremost an example The word, the Greek word that he gives here is the word typos. I I guess we would say typos, but in Greek, I don't think they said it that way. But it literally means to impress. And it's the same word that was used when they hung Jesus on the cross. And they talked about driving the nails into his hands and his feet. They typosed them. The nail made that kind of impression on Christ in his body. And Peter says, "The elder carries this in him that he's that the scars of Christ have so impacted this person that their life is changed as a result of their life is an example you see that you see that's jesus that's how jesus did it that's he says this is the kind of leadership that you're looking for and then Peter gives elders a blessing. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd comes, hey, if if you elders are doing your job right, when the chief shepherd comes, that's Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory, never fade away. What is that crown of glory that God has reserved for the elders, for the faithful servants who have led in his flock over the years? I believe that 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 actually points to it, where the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, aren't you our crown? You are our crown. The crown of glory that the elder gets is the privilege of sharing forever with the people that they served. Can I tell you, that's part of what drives me is... Some days I can't bear the thought, honestly, of spending forever without any of you. Kills me to think that some of you actually might spend forever in hell. He says, this is your crown, your joy. You know, it's one of the things in ministry, I think, um, you know, the real test of our success is not how many people are in the seats or how much money we've given or given away or anything like that. The real test of this ministry doesn't get seen until Judgment Day. That's when it gets revealed. That's when our work gets revealed. It's one of the hardest things about ministry because there's no real immediate... uh, like a, you know, validation for the work. The work doesn't get validated until Judgment Day. And on Judgment Day, every one of you that passed the test is an A+. Plus. And I, that's my prayer. So... He says this is the kind of relationship, but it's not just about what the leaders do. You notice verse 5? In the same way, he says, younger men, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. So there's both. It's not just leaders. It's not just good leaders. It's good followers. We need both, don't we? And can you see, my friends, how this is radical in today's culture? where we have such an anti-authoritarian spirit running rampant across our land, do you see how valuable it is that there would be a group of people on this planet who actually get this right, who recognize the value of good leadership, who understand the blessing that God brings to people through good leadership, that God establishes leaders Do you understand that? That it's God establishes leaders. He blesses through leaders. Leadership is God's idea, not our idea. And in the church at times, we've kind of bought this lie with our culture that really minimizes leaders. And we're like, oh, we're all just on the same page, and it's all beautiful, and nobody's really, we're just all... And while that's great, mutual relationship, absolutely. But do you see the model? When you have leaders that lay down their lives for the people that they serve, and the people that they serve submitting to the people who lead them, that's the way that heaven has designed it to work. That right there, that's a message our culture desperately needs in these days. We need good leaders. We need good followers. Peter says in the church, good leaders is what's going to help get you all the way to the end and finish strong. Without them, you're going to peter out. So we need a healthy relationship with leadership. That goes both ways. The second thing we need, of course, is humility. Because without humility, there's no submission. I mean, submission really is... Humility is required for submission to happen. A a, a proud person is not going to submit. So humility is actually the fruit of, of submission. They go hand in hand, and he says that next. Submit yourselves, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you. You know what humility means is this. Stop making it about you. Quit being so stinking selfish. Humility. We make it all about us. And have you ever noticed that the more difficult things get, the more we make it about ourselves, don't we? We all do it. I do it. We all are in that same boat. When it starts to get tough, we get whiny. We get moany. We start. It's poor me, 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 me. And Peter says, listen, if you're going to make it across the finish line strong, you got to stop making it about yourself. And start making it about other people. Try asking someone else, how are you doing today? And not using it as a platform to you tell them about how bad you're having it. Have you ever tried having a conversation with someone where not for one second do you refer to yourself? Try it. I challenge you. Try it this week. Try to have a conversation with someone else, albeit brief, where you don't come up at, you make the conversation completely about that other person. And then you walk away. Just bless them. You up for the challenge? He says, humility, humility, humble yourselves before one another. Humble yourselves under the hand of God, and it says he'll lift you up. Part of the reason why you're not promoted, God can only elevate you to the level that you're willing to go down. Humble yourself under the hand of God, and he, it says, will lift you up in due time. He will lift you up in due time. You know, This is why dying to ourselves is so, so critical. Because do you understand that the things that God wants to do with you, the things that God wants to do through you, are so breathtakingly awesome that unless you die to yourself, they'll kill you. It's it's got to stop being about you so that God can do great things through you. Does this make sense? God has something for you, but it can't be about you. Die to yourself so that God can start using you in this crazy old mixed-up world. So he says, humble yourselves. And then, of course, with humility, with dying to myself, comes a loss of control. With a loss of control comes anxiety. And Peter addresses that next, doesn't he? Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I love how Peter knows our human tendencies, doesn't he? Oh, that's right. Peter's human himself, so he knows how that works. You start, you start, you start dying to yourself. You start making it not about you, And you immediately start to feel out of control. Anxiety starts to rise. And Peter says, here's how you do this. Cast it on the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Pray. And you'll see it'll start to dissipate. Okay, God. He gets better. The next one, he says this. Heads up. Heads up. Verse 8. Be alert. Sober mind. Why? Because you got an enemy. Friends, we're not in a playground anymore. This here is a battleground. And the bullets are whizzing every day over our heads, past our ears. Come on. He goes, you've got an enemy. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. But here's the good news. The devil roars like a lion. Jesus is the lion. And you're on his team. But it doesn't mean that the devil doesn't try to come at you time and time and time and time again. And so he says, heads up. Be aware of his schemes. Be aware of them. When when you see, if you remember a few months ago, we preached a whole message here on the schemes of the devil. One of them is division. He lies constantly, never tells the truth. Judgment, you and me judging one another, being critical of one another, like that's just right from the pit of hell. And I'm sorry, anti-authoritarianism, that's rebellion. That's from the pit of hell. Rebellion is hell's tool. It's not heaven's. So trying to come against your police officers, that's hell. They're just the easy ones because they happen to be the ones in front of you. They represent authority. That's their job. It's no wonder that hellish people are trying to go against them. Because hell's about rebellion, not about submission. You understand? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. He says, heads up. You've got to be aware of this. Resist him, he says, standing firm. Why? Because you know you're not the only one going through this. The entire family of believers, he says, throughout the world's undergoing the same sufferings. That's good news. Sometimes when we're going through tough times, we feel like we're the only one going through it. Have you noticed that? It's been called terminal uniqueness. I'm the only one that has this problem. No, you're not. I mean, I love you, but man, you're you're not that big of a deal. You're really not. Like that you have only like there's one problem that's reserved only for you, and nobody else has ever had that problem before. Think through that, really? There's eight billion people on the planet. Come on. All right, but what we do, that's how we do it. And he goes, look it, resist the devil. Resist him, because you know you're not the only one there. Look around. <laughs> He's coming against a lot of people. That's encouraging. Strangely enough, he says. So he goes, what do I do? I keep my eyes. I keep my eyes fixed on Christ. I keep my eyes fixed on the hope that I have for rescue. And that's what he says this in verse 10. He finishes it. And I love verse 10 and 11, but verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So who called you? God did. Who called you? God did. Why are you here today? Who called you? God did. You're not here today of your own volition. Well, you are, but you're not here today because you're just like, it was your great idea. You're here today in response to the call of God in your life. God called you, okay, look at it, after you've suffered a little while. So how long does suffering last? A little while. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it happens. But it's a little while. He goes, will himself, God will himself rest, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Who will make you strong, firm, steadfast, and restore you? Who will do this work? God. These aren't trick questions. I'm just trying to get us to see the text. Who will do this work? God will do this work. That means, friends, that your salvation is not up to you. It's up to God. That means you crossing this finish line strong is up to God. God is determined to get you across that finish line. God will restore you, strengthen you, keep you there. He's going to do it. Friends, this is so comforting. This is why it's important for you to know God. Do you understand? This is the difference between religion and an actual relationship. You get this, right? That religion says you have to be the one to get your own sorry end across the finish line. That's religion. You have to do this, do this, do this, do this. And oh, if you don't do that, pfft, sorry, you're out. That's how religion goes. Relationship, God says, I see you since before the creation of the world. I've had my eye on you. I called you. You're mine. I put my name on you. You're mine. I'm taking you all the way home. And the more you know him, the more you know his character. And the more you know his character, the more you realize how true that is. He's going to get me home. That's good news, friends. After you've suffered a little while. Love that in there. <laughs> you know, this makes me think... Uh, I wonder, you know, uh, this last week, our uh, daughter had she had her wisdom teeth pulled, and so I took her to the doctor for the th- procedure, and and then I had to get her home, and and it's coming out of the doctor's office. So I mean, she was like like a zombie, you know. Yeah. You have to hold her up because she couldn't barely walk because she was still under the under the. Uh, anesthetic stuff, you know, and she's just kind of, you know, rubbery legs and get her in the car, got her home, got her settled on the couch, set up, and all that good stuff. And finally, a few hours later, it was like noon, one o'clock, when she kind of started to get, a bear, get her bearings. And she goes, Boy, I don't even remember getting on this couch. How did you get me on this couch? <laughs> So, yeah, that was a, well, I got you in the car, got you in the house. She doesn't, doesn't remember any of that, any of those steps because she was just gonzo. I think, you know, I wonder when you and I get to heaven, if we'll get there and God's going to say, hey, do you remember that time I carried that, carried you there? And you'd be like, no, what time? I don't remember that time. Yeah, that, I actually, I did. And then there's that other time when I, when I backed you up. I was faithful there that time. And you, that was you? Yeah, that was me, actually, right there. I don't remember that. I think God's going to show you all the ways. You had no clue how much he was carrying you. You had no idea how much God was holding under your arms and getting you across the finish line. And when you get to heaven, you're going to wake up one moment and go, oh, God, you are so faithful and so good. I'm thankful. Thankful. I'm so thankful, God, you got me across this line. Thank you, Lord. And that's what Peter says. Look, if you're going to get across this line, it's because God carried you there. That's hope rescued. Hope for the rescue. Do you see it? You see how these things go together? He says, listen, you need, if you're going to cross this finish line, you've got to have A healthy relationship with leaders because God works through leaders. And and, and Peter challenges the leaders in the church, challenges them hard. I take this challenge seriously. I know that I'm one of those guys. God calls me to lay down my life. Get that. He calls us to follow our leaders. We work together. He calls us to be humble to one another. Why? Why? because we're all bozos, and sometimes we mess up, and we've got to be able to be humble to receive, right? Hey, hey, Ralph, stay strong. Hey, don't give up there. You're slacking there. We need that. We need to encourage each other along the way. He says, heads up, watch out. I want to be able to show you, look, that's the devil. Watch out. Don't don't go there. That's a trap. Don't walk into that trap. Then he says, hope, hope for the rescue. Just know God's got you. He's going to get you through to this. And then I love how Peter ends this chapter with these four words. You see those words? We read them as we were reading through. He says in verse 12, stand fast in it. Can you say that with me? Stand fast in it. It's kind of like after all has been said and done, after all this stuff that Peter's talked to us about and the challenge and so forth, Peter says, here's the last four words, stand fast in it. Don't bend, don't compromise, don't buckle. Stand fast in it. You know, uh, this week, my wife and I will celebrate 32 years of marriage. Wow. And I was thinking, how do we get this far? Because I remember, it just seems like yesterday, when we were newlyweds, we looked at couples that had been married this long, thinking they were really old. How, did that, how does that even happen? And now we're one of those. It's really a weird feeling. But you know how it is? Stand fast in it. I can't tell you the magic. It's just one day at a time, I guess. Next thing you know, 32 years are up. (laughs) Stand fast in it. Faithful today, faithful tomorrow, faithful the next day. Standing fast in it. Making the choices to build the marriage, to build the home. Little ones, big ones. Stand fast in it. Next thing you know, 32 years. Go right by. It's the same principle in anything. If you want to get a doctorate, how do you get a doctorate? Stand fast in it. I heard somebody, actually I met somebody who was a, He had two PhDs, a UConn guy. This is a long time ago. And, and he said, oh, don't be too impressed with two PhDs. He says, it just means that I stuck with it longer than anybody else. I'm just more persistent. So there's something to that. You know, I think two PhDs, you must be really smart. He says, no, I'm just persistent. (laughs) And you must have a lot of money. I don't know how you afford that. But two PhDs, stand fast in it. It's one class at a time. You'll get your doctorate. You know, how do you raise healthy, well-adjusted, great kids? Stand fast in it. One day at a time. Faithful parenting. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Year after year after year. It's how it works. How do you, you know, I mean, anything important. How do you lose weight? I mean, same thing. You don't drop 20 pounds in a day. You know, stand fast in it. I have to make the commitment. See, amen, Evie. You walk, trust me, your day's coming, girl. Right now, I'm telling you. (laughs) So we were all skinny babies once, and and then it happens. So stand fast in it, right? That's what you do. You see the point. How do I make it across this finish line? How do you and I do it? We stand fast in it. One day at a time, faithful to Jesus. Um, let's bow our heads in prayer, okay? So, Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us, for your great heart that you're committed to us, God. You're going to get us across this line. You're determined to do it. I thank you for that determination. I count on that determination, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your faithfulness in each one of our lives, your faithfulness to our church, your faithfulness, Lord, to your people. Thank you. Thank you, God. You are faithful. Hmm. We are so grateful to be yours. So, Lord, I pray today that maybe like me, someone here would have come in kind of tired, but leave reinvigorated and refreshed. That your word has just been like water on our soul and given us a little more oomph for the days ahead. Lord, I pray that everyone in, under our scope of ministry here would have a personal relationship with you, Jesus. And I just want to give you the chance, friends, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed right now, I mean that. Listen, friends, if you have not received Jesus as your Savior yet, I want to urge you to do that today, right now. You don't need anything special. There's no big deal. Just simply confess your need for Jesus. Ask him to cleanse you from your sins, to make you right with God, and Jesus promises that he'll do that. But it's through Jesus. It's not because you're a good person. Jesus is the one who died on the cross. Jesus is the one who paid for it. And so Jesus is the one who will give it to you. You need to ask Jesus for forgiveness, to forgive you for your sins, to make you right with God, and He promises that He will do it. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.